Our text is going to be 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 today. I want to talk about our victory and our faith. I was thinking we were singing that song um, during our time of singing. And it spoke about the birth of Jesus. And I thought about when Jesus was born, and we're coming into the Christmas season here in just a few weeks. Can you believe that? And you all know the Christmas story that the, the shepherds were out in the fields keeping their flock, and the angels appeared and heralded, just like what we read, they heralded the coming of the king. And they said, unto us is born a Savior this night in the city of David. Wrapped in swaddling cloths, you will find him. And the shepherds leave, and they go to Bethlehem, and they find the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger with his family in, a, in an animal stable. That's where Jesus was born. And the angels heralded the coming of the king. And the coming of the king signaled the coming of the kingdom. And if you think about, and many people don't think about this because we don't really think about history. We don't think about the context of things. But if you think about the context of that night, and those angels appearing to those shepherds, and those shepherds seeing the baby Jesus... And the angels proclaiming the coming of the king. And they understood that that meant that the kingdom was coming. And to them in their minds, that, that could have meant all kinds of things. Like the Roman Empire is going to be overthrown and we're not going to be under oppression and slavery any longer. And we won't have to pay these horrible oppressive taxes and lose our property and lose our way of life and live under this hard system. God will now set us free. It's easy to read that in the Bible and read about the birth of Jesus in one verse and then just a few verses over we see Jesus walking around healing people. But have you ever thought that from the time Jesus was born to the time that he began to walk around and heal people, 30 years went by. Now, where were you 30 years ago? Think about what you were doing 30 years ago. Think about 30 years. Think about someone making a promise to you that you've been looking forward to all your life, and they make this promise to you, but, but you've got to wait 30 years at a minimum. And then you realize you may have to wait even longer than 30 years. In fact, you may actually die on this earth and never see that promise fulfilled in the way that you thought it would be fulfilled. Does that mean the promise is not true? 
just because we don't see the promise come to pass the way we want it to? Does that mean that when that child, the baby Jesus, was born, and when that child grew up into a man and he was scourged and he carried his cross to the top of that hill and he was crucified and he died on that cross, does that mean that all the promises of God died with him? Sure looked that way, didn't it? But what is our faith in? Is our faith in what we can see? Or is our faith in what God has declared? Because if our faith is in what we can see and what we will experience or not experience, then our faith is on shaky ground. Because our faith must be in someone and something that transcends time and space and circumstances and years. I wonder what became of those shepherds that saw the angels and went to Bethlehem and saw the baby Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to them. But I wonder what happened to them. I wonder what they thought as years went by. I wonder if their faith failed. I wonder if their faith faltered, or I wonder if they remained faithful because they realized that what they had put their trust in, what they were to put their trust in, was greater than anything of this earth and this world system. Because if you look at history... And you consider the time that Jesus was born, that Roman Empire did not slow down for another several hundred years. In fact, it was not utterly defeated until 400 years after the birth of Jesus, militarily. Yet the moment Jesus was born, its demise was certain. Its defeat was never in question. Though we could look at armies marching and kingdoms falling, and we may wonder whether God really knew what he was talking about. Or we could go to the scripture and look at God's word and say, it doesn't matter what the armies are doing. It doesn't matter what the people are doing. It doesn't matter what's happening on the world scene this is what God has declared. I will put my faith in God and his eternal word. What I know in my heart, not what I see with my eyes. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. The Bible speaks to, if you read from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, the very end of the Bible. When you read the words of the prophets, when you read the letters of the apostles written to the churches, you see that 
men of God are addressing the things that the people of God are having to deal with. And many people think today the Bible is an outdated, antiquated book that's not relevant to anything happening in our culture, but the reality is it's anything but that. It's absolutely relevant because we're dealing with the very same things today in our culture than they dealt with 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago or 400 years ago. We're living in a crucial and a divisive time in our nation. We live in the United States of America. We live in the state of Texas. We live in the town of Taylor in the county of Williamson. And what happens around us affects us. I know you understand that. You get that. But don't, don't disconnect that from your faith in Christ. Don't disconnect that from the promises of God. Because if God was all about the most powerful and the most awesome way a king could come into this earth, Jesus would have never been born the way he was born and where he was born. He wouldn't have grown up in some obscure part of the nation that had a bad reputation as never having anything good come out of it. You see, God does everything contrary to the way the world does things. And we should learn from that. We should take heart in that. Because very often we are looking for the biggest and the best and the most powerful ways to do things. And yet throughout the scripture, we see God doing the exact opposite. We could say, look at this group here today. We're just a very small church. What possible impact could we have in our community? But see, if we do that, we're looking at the wrong things. Because we shouldn't be looking at how great or how small we are. We shouldn't even be looking at one another. We should be first looking to God. Because who's going to make a difference first and foremost is God. And God will use whatever he desires to use. Yes, he will even use you. In all of your weakness, in all of your failings, in all of your falterings, God can choose to use you, even with your past. And God does use you in ways that you don't realize. But I want to challenge you to seek God to use you in greater ways, in ways that you do realize. I want to challenge you to be purposeful in the way you live your life, in the decisions you make, in the priorities you set, so that you are seeking to be a vessel surrendered to God, used by God for his glory. And you're not looking at how strong or how weak you are. You're looking to God, who is all-powerful. God, who says that when you are weak, he is strong. God, who says in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. God, who says, listen, when you are the weakest, that is in reality when you are the strongest.
totally contrary to what the world tells us. And we as the people of God need to get out of the habit of thinking the way the world thinks. We need to get out of the bad habit of defining things the way the world defines them and judging things the way the world judges them and trusting in things because that's what the world trusts in and that's what the world tells us we should be trusting in. Stop that. We are the people of God. We're not to to operate the way the world does, to trust in the things that the world does. We're living in a time when men are looking to political saviors and political systems to save the day and to make things right in their own eyes. We all have an opinion of how things ought to be. And that's not new in 2018. It was the way it was in Noah's day. And God says in the days of Noah, each man did what was right in his own eyes. And then God says in the time of the judges, same thing. Each man did what was right in his own eyes. And Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken to be crucified, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the last days when each man will do what is right in his own eyes. Guess what men are doing right now? They're doing what's right in their own eyes. So we have politicians paying millions and millions and millions of dollars to get on television and tell you what they think is right in their own eyes. But I don't hear one of them talking about what God says is right. Because that would make them unpopular with many people. Because we're living in a day and an age where most people, many people don't care what God thinks. I won't say most people, I'll say many people people the consistent rejection of God and his gospel has brought to bear long term consequences for our nation and we are all feeling that individually you feel it in the price of gas you feel it in the amount of taxes you pay you feel it as you are ridiculed for your stand that you take, whether it's your political stand or your personal moral convictions. You feel it in all kinds of ways. But we don't relate it to the spiritual. The church of the Lord Jesus, the people of God, who are salt and light, seem to have lost their flavor and hidden their lamp. Many today are running scared and wringing their hands in worry, waiting for the sky to fall, literally. You can just do a news search and see how many stories are out there about asteroids that are going to crash into the earth and aliens that are going to come back and, and, and do who God, God only knows what they're going to do. And we'll spend hours searching the internet for news items and all kinds of things, but we won't crack open our Bible and read the Word of God and find the true news and find the truth that, that really will set us free. 
Others are preparing to endure physically and financially. One thing is certain. Too many have failed to realize that the most important preparation of all is spiritual. It's in prayer, not worry. It's in faith, not fear, that our hope is found. And our hope is found in Jesus. Listen to these two verses recorded for us in John's first letter, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Father in heaven, Open our hearts and our minds today. Lord, heal us of our blindness. Heal us of looking to the ways of the world. Lord, by your spirit, call us back. Give us the grace to return to that which is true, to your word, to your promises, to your ways. Help us, God, be a people that truly are salt in this earth and light in this world. Help us right here at Christ Fellowship in this small congregation of believers. Help us look and see a big God, bigger than anything we could imagine, capable of doing anything beyond our wildest imagination. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us to be a people who know that our victory, that which overcomes the world, that it is our faith. Father, we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. He who has overcome the world is he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The truth is, unless God saves us, we will not be saved. That's the truth. There is no might of man. There is no power on this earth that can save us if God does not save us. And as the people of God, we need to get that truth down inside of us so that we are not tempted to look to other things to save us. Anything man is able to do outside of faith is at best a temporary fix. If we are trusting in anyone or anything other than Christ, we can have no hope to overcome this world. We are called to be faithful and wise servants. We're called to be busy about the business of the kingdom. In the parable where Jesus says, occupy until I come, that's literally what that phrase means. Be busy about the business of the kingdom until I come again. 
That can include preparing for difficult times, just like Joseph prepared Egypt. But what is absolutely necessary is that we, the people of God, know that the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Faith in a baby born in a manger. Faith in a man hanging dead on a cross. Faith in a risen Lord, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high, who I can't see with my physical eyes, but yet he lives in me by his spirit. Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Do you believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body right now to strengthen you? Do you believe that the same spirit who hovered over the the void and the darkness of the deep at creation lives inside of you right now? That the same God who called light out of darkness has shown a light in your heart? Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Now, of course, we're going to say, yes, pastor, I believe that. I, I believe that. Well, the next question is, are we living like that? Does the world know we believe that? Or is that something we keep hidden to ourselves? Yet Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If the salt loses its flavor, it's not good for anything but to be thrown out on the road. If who lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel basket or puts it under a bed, you light a lamp so that it, lights everything around it like a city on a hill our light is not to be hidden it cannot be hidden or can it it's not supposed to be whatever is born of god overcomes the world what does it mean to be born of god To be born of God is what Jesus referred to as being born again. Jesus declared these words, truly, truly. Whenever Jesus says something twice, you should pay attention. Your version of the Bible in John 3, 3 may say verily, verily, or it may say truly, truly. But the point is, Jesus was making great emphasis. Pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is it to be born of God? Because whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Well, to be born of God is to be born again of the Spirit. Unless we're in Christ, we have no hope of eternal life. We only have the promise of eternal death. And the way to come to be in Christ is to be born again. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that all those born in Adam die, even so all those in Christ shall be made alive. That's not universal salvation. That's distinguishing between births, the old birth and the new birth, the old man and the new man, born of the flesh or born of the spirit. All those who are born of God overcome 
the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The way you are born of God is to be born again. Do you know that you have been born again? In our first birth in the flesh, all men are born into this world already dead in sin. In the second birth or the new birth of the Spirit, only those born again in Christ by grace through faith shall be made alive. And this is what God promises. All those who are in Christ shall be made alive. Because they're born of God. They will overcome the world. To be born again is to be born, to be born of God is to be born again. It is the gift of his grace. To be born of God is to have the promise that you have overcome this world. That means our past, our present, and our future is part of God's plan and purpose. It's part of our overcoming. We very often look at our past and we say, how can I overcome my past? But yet God says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And that includes the past, the present, and the future. You may know what your past is. You may know what today is, but you have no idea what your future is. I've been a police chaplain for over 17 years. And you know, when I'm called out on a scene, I'm yet to be called out to a scene where people were expecting the tragedy that I very often have to deal with. They're never expecting it. In fact, they woke up that morning. Might have been a Saturday. They might have been looking forward to the game. Maybe they're going to barbecue. Maybe they're going to have a party, a game-watching party. And, and the next thing you know, the unexpected happens and tragedy occurs. And their entire world is turned upside down. Yet if you would have asked them the day before, if you'd have asked them the hour before, very likely they would have had no idea that what happened was coming. Yet God knows. Those disciples of Jesus, even though Jesus warned them, they didn't believe him or they didn't hear. When he told them he was going to be crucified and as they watched the Lord Jesus die on that cross. Their hope died with him. And Jesus knew that would happen. And Jesus prepared for that to happen. And the same thing very often happens to us when the unexpected comes. I wasn't counting on that. I wasn't planning on that. That was nowhere on my radar. Well, guess what? It was on God's. So when those things happen that are nowhere on our radar, what are we left with? Well, we are left with exactly what we just read. We're left with our faith that overcomes the world. It even overcomes the unexpected. It even overcomes all the things we failed to plan for because we had no idea that could even possibly happen. Faith in God overcomes those things. If we are in Christ, the world cannot overcome us. 
And that is true because Christ has already overcome the world. When, when John writes, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, he's not talking about some future overcoming. He's talking in the past tense. He's talking in the already done tense. That which is born of God overcomes the world. You live in a perpetual state of overcoming the world if you are in Christ. Jesus promised as he's preparing his disciples before he's crucified, he makes this promise to them that they would have tribulation in this world, but he encourages them and he encourages us to be of good cheer for he has overcome the world. Christ has already overcome the world. This is why we can be of good cheer knowing that in Christ we too we too have overcome the world. Then John writes, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Now there's a way we can overcome. We can be like the guy who's stranded on the desert isle and, and, and just at the, the nick of time, the rescue ship shows up and he's emaciated and he's near death, but he survived he overcame his desert isle experience. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it says that we overcome the world. This is not just barely surviving. This is not our lives hanging by a thread. And God, at the very right moment, at the very last moment, he rushes in and he saves us when we're just about to die. That's not the picture the Bible presents. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Not just barely have it. And I'm not talking about how big your house or your bank account or your car is. I'm talking about God's promise of eternal life. The promise that he makes to us that if we are in him, our faith has overcome the world. Victory is not barely surviving. Our victory is not conditioned on how we feel. It's not conditioned on what we see. It's not conditioned on some level of achievement. Our victory is apprehended by faith and secured by what Christ has already done. Our victory is in Christ who has already overcome the world. We have victory, not a survival mentality. We're to have an overcoming mentality. Christ didn't just survive the cross. He completely conquered in it. He utterly defeated his enemies in the cross. And in defeating his enemies, guess what? He defeated your enemies as well. So our victory is not based on what we can see with our natural eyes. Our victory is based on what we know to be true by faith, even though we may not see it now. This is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. Our faith, not based on what we see, but based on what we know. 
What you know in your heart is not just what you can see with your eyes. Please tell me that's true for you. We know many things in our heart. We know many things to be true that we don't necessarily see with our eyes, that we can even begin to see with natural sight. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith for us. Now, faith is the substance. It's real. Faith is real. It has a substance. It's tangible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we overcome the world, but our faith is not in the wisdom of the world or in the wisdom of man. Our faith is in the power of God. Paul says, when I came to you, I I didn't come with excellence of speech, with the wisdom of men, with the wisdom of this world. I came in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. I purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And I declare to you the gospel. And he says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Faith is trusting in the God who has ordered the world in such a way that we cannot overcome except by trusting in him and in those things that we are unable to see. But we know that they are the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the one who has overcome. What does it mean to believe Jesus is the Son of God? Today, we use the word believe for all kinds of things, but it's not necessarily used in a biblical sense. Faith is believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God is more than a mental or intellectual acknowledgement of Jesus. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God, biblically speaking, biblically speaking to believe, It is to love him, it is to trust him, it is to obey him, and to place our hope in him alone. Jesus encouraged his disciples by warning them that they would have tribulation, but by reminding them that he had already overcome the world. So we must never forget that we have hope because Jesus has overcome the world. That's not a promise of a future day. It's a promise for today. In spite of the victories we do not see or the circumstances we do experience, our victory is in our faith and our faith is in the Christ who has already overcome this world. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Give us words of hope to remind us that our faith in Christ is never misplaced. 
The writer of Hebrews says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he has put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. We do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Don't look to your circumstance, look to Jesus. Don't look at what is pressing against you and what is, what seems like is about to, to kill you, look to Jesus. Don't look at how difficult your situation is, look to Jesus. I didn't say deny your situation. I didn't say pretend like it's not difficult. Nowhere does the Bible ever tell us to live in denial. The Bible says live in reality, but look to Jesus. In the midst of your real pain, your real suffering, your real challenges, when you can't figure out how you're going to get all the pieces to fit together, look to Jesus because he knows how he's going to assemble all this and make it work. We're not called to convince men through mere arguments of the power of God. We are called to demonstrate to men through our lives the power of God. This is what Paul meant when he says, I didn't come with persuasive words. I came in the power in demonstration of the Spirit. Paul said, my life and your life is the physical demonstration of God's power because you believe. And you didn't believe because I gave you a good argument to believe. You believe because God in his real power moved on your real heart. He broke it. He gave you a new one. He raised you from death to life. You were darkness, but he has called light out of your dark heart. Paul says that's the demonstration of his power and his spirit. That's what we're to do, to demonstrate to men through our lives the power of God. Our witness is in word and in deed. We preach the gospel with the power and the demonstration of the spirit that is revealed to be working in our own lives and the lives of all who are transformed by its power. We must never forget that we have an enemy, the devil. Our greatest enemy is not political, it's not physical, it is spiritual. In our pride, we have forgotten how to be humble. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another, young and old, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring Lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You are not alone in your suffering. 
You are not the first and you will not be the last. You have an adversary seeking to devour you, but here's the good news. He may not devour you if you are in Christ. You are safe. You are secure. Christ has already overcome the world. So never forget that you have an enemy and never forget that your battle, our battle is spiritual. We are in a spiritual battle, waging a spiritual warfare, and the greatest weapons that Satan and his demons use against us are the deceptions born out of our own worst tendencies and our fleshly weaknesses. And those tendencies and those weaknesses are in our mind, and they're often ruled by our flesh. And the Apostle Paul reminds us he equips us to face this battle when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 10:3 For though we walk in the flesh we do not war against or according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Don't forget obedience. It's important. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians instructs the church that their warfare was not against flesh and blood. Though their struggle and their warfare was real and made manifest in the flesh, the scripture teaches us to wage war in the spirit. Paul writes, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Whatever is born of God, the Bible teaches us, overcomes the world. We who are born of God fight our battles, waging war in the spirit, we stand knowing the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. And our faith is to be in Jesus Christ alone and in the power of his gospel. He has overcome the world. Christian, be of good cheer, for you too have overcome in him. Amen. I want to invite you to come to the table and celebrate and thank God for the victory that you have in Jesus. For the overcoming victory that you have in Jesus. When you come to this table today, you look at that bread and you look at that cup and you be reminded of the price that was paid so that you could walk in victory, so that you could have faith that you too have overcome the world because of what Jesus Christ has done. So Christian, come to the table. Trust in Jesus. Be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. As Christians, do not be like the world. But as Christians, do not abstain 
from the world. In faith, rather, engage the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. In this world, we worship, we pray, we love, we learn, we grow, we work. We have children, we raise children. We engage the culture, we influence the culture. We vote, we contend, we participate. We live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We live knowing that the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. So we don't isolate, we don't pull back, we advance, we move forward. We do all of this knowing that there is no salvation in politicians or in political parties or in political systems or in any of man's wisdom. We are commanded to be wise with godly wisdom, to reject irresponsibility while knowing that no amount of worldly wisdom or financial, physical, political preparedness can ultimately save us, we are commanded to be wise in God, to trust in God, for our salvation is in Christ alone. Therefore, our faith is in Christ alone. We walk overcoming the world as we live, knowing that God is working in us just as he is working in all things. We should have no doubt and no fear that God is working in the current events of our day. God is working in us and God is working in all things around us to bring about his eternal will and purpose. Therefore, as those born of God, we should live confident that our victory is our faith. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Amen.